series called The Good Work. We began this in the park several weeks back, and I'm excited about this series because as I look around this room, I see people, every single one of you, that God has a purpose and a plan and a good work for. Every single one of you. In fact, if we look at the Bible, it tells us this in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and you can't get away from this. But let's listen to what Paul says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff in that verse, and if I unpacked it, I wouldn't get to the rest of the message. But all this to say, if you are a handiwork of God, which I believe all of you are, and if you are saved in Christ Jesus, which I pray to God you are, then here's what you have to know, that you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. God's already got this figured out for you. He already knows what the good work or good works are that you will do. So nobody can say, well, Kelly, I, I don't think I have a good work. I don't think God has something for me to do. Well, are you his handiwork? Are you in Christ Jesus? Then he has a good work for you that he has prepared in advance for you to do. But some might say, Kelly, hang on. All this talk about good works, isn't my salvation enough? Can't I just get saved and enjoy that? Can't I just enjoy the salvation without this personal cost and without this personal sacrifice, without personal service? The answer is no. When we become followers of Jesus, we are committing to sacrifice and committing to service for him. There's no other way around it. See, God didn't save you just to fill a pew on Sunday. He saved you to fulfill a purpose, right? He didn't save you to take up a seat. He saved you to take up a cross and follow him into mission. In fact, you might say it this way, that good works don't save you, and praise God, they don't. There's some friends in our neighborhood that believe their good works will save them. Your good works do not save you, but you are saved in order to do good works. That's what Ephesians tells us in 2.10. We're saved, but we are saved for a purpose, not to just relish that salvation and say, oh, bless me, God, thank you, but we're saved actually for good works. It's a natural outflow of our salvation. In fact, the Bible is full of people who experience the presence of God, and then God has a work that he prepared in advance for them to do, and we see it happen, and we call them heroes of our faith. But can I remind you that God is still enabling and empowering heroes of the faith to do his good work today, to do his good work right now. And every single one of us are those kinds of people. I believe with all of my heart that we're not created by accident, that the skill sets and the passions that God has put in you are there for a purpose, that he has formed you, he gave you birth, he gave you passions, he gave you desires to do something that makes an eternal difference. In fact, God has a good work for you. This has been our kind of overarching idea right now, right where you are. Because he had one for Nehemiah right then, right where he was. And can I remind you, Nehemiah was like a thousand miles away from the problem. He was living in the, in the kingdom of Persia. 
in the capital city. He's a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, but he hears about the fact that the walls had not been rebuilt, that the work had stopped of those who were sent ahead to begin the work. It didn't happen. And he becomes grieved that his fellow people who live there are living in vulnerability with the walls not yet done around the city of Jerusalem. And he can't stand it any longer. And he said, somebody ought to do something. And that somebody was him. And so he sought God, and he sought the Lord's favor, and he sought the action plan of God, and God commissioned Nehemiah. We see that happen in Nehemiah 1 and 2, and we see the people go down to the land in chapters 3. We see the work begin in chapter 4, and it begins to go pretty good, but then what happens? As the work progresses, opposition arises. As there is advancement, it invites opposition. And so we saw that last week where Sanballat, Tobiah, and others had come against the work that Nehemiah was doing by ridiculing them. But it didn't work. And it still won't work today. In fact, if your enemy can't destroy you, then here's what he'll do. He'll distract you. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distract you. So, so far, the the attempts against Nehemiah haven't worked And so now a new ploy is being used by his enemies. It's more subtle because it has to do with distraction, pulling him away from the good work. The enemy will always do that. He always is trying to take our eyes off the mission. He did that with Jesus. Remember the temptation? What was the whole point? Get Jesus off mission. And it was done at a critically vulnerable time in Jesus' life. He was hungry. He'd been alone. He was not with anybody else, so he was vulnerable. But he stood against the enemy's attack. Couldn't destroy him, so I'm going to try to distract you away from God's mission. And it didn't work with Jesus. It's not going to work for Nehemiah, and it better not work for us. So we know God has a work prepared in advance for each one of us to do. But while we're doing God's good work, here's the thing. We have got to be aware of the danger of distractions. The danger of distractions. If you want to follow along with today's message, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can use your Bible app, which many of you have been using. You can go to your menu, events, live, and find us there and follow us on the live events. You can also go to albanync.org, our website. And our notes are there for you under the Messages tab. And there's lots of ways. I encourage you to get notes and dig into this message because I believe this is a timely message for people who are about to give up because you believe that God had a good work for you, but nothing seems to be happening. And could it be because you are falling victim to the subtle distractions of life and of the enemy? And that's why we're not seeing the good work that God has for each one of you to do. And some of that good work happens right here inside the walls of this church. But I'll tell you what, friends, a lot of the good work he wants us to do actually is going to happen out there in the day-to-day living that we have. And God may call some of you in this room to active full-time ministry. God might call some of you to sacrifice some things so you can step into the good work. But the problem is we've got to beware of distractions. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6, where we see it unfold in Nehemiah's life. We're going to learn three things about the danger of distractions through Nehemiah in chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gate. So the wall is almost done, but the gates are still vulnerable. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, 
Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So here's the first distraction, and it's the distraction of opportunities. I know this doesn't sound right, but please hear me out. The danger of the distraction of opportunities. What we see happening in Nehemiah now is the ridicule of Sanballat, Tobiah, the threat of harm hasn't worked, so now they try a different tactic. And their idea is, let's send a message to Nehemiah to come meet us. In fact, Nehemiah, we'll meet you halfway. We'll meet you in the plains of Ono. Now, here's a tip number one. Never meet with your enemy in a place called Ono. It's just, it's not going to go well for you. I mean, that should have warning signs all over it, right? But here's basically what's happening. They're trying to get Nehemiah to compromise. Look, Nehemiah, we'll, we'll meet you halfway. We'll meet in the middle. Come, let's have a conversation. Let's see if we can make something work where we each give a little bit and we each get our own interests served. Come meet with us in the plains of Ono. Now, this sounds noble. This sounds like what many of us would call an opportunity to maybe kind of settle with our enemies. Because we're in a day and age today when we got to seem like we have to appease everybody. So let's find a way to kind of meet in the middle. But Nehemiah knew that it was a trap. Now, there are times, friends, when we need to plead and contend a case with our enemies, but never compromise. Never compromise. The enemy's plan was not to actually find a workable solution. The plan was to harm him and to pull him off course. What we often see as an opportunity, God sees for what it really is, a distraction. Nehemiah could have thought, wow, what a great opportunity. Sounds like they might want to reason with me. You ever tried to reason with somebody who was unreasonable? I see folks attempt this every day on social media. Guess what? It's not working. It's not working. All that happens is we get drawn into an argument for the world to see with somebody, and the end of that thread is nobody has found a workable solution. Right? And some of you got, you get mad. You get angry, and in the process, you actually compromise your Christian testimony of love because you're so hung up on being right. I get it. There's a time to be right. There's a time, friends, where I'm not going to enter that fray because it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. It's going to be a distraction away from what I should be doing. Well, in this case, it was going to be a distraction away from Nehemiah. And friends, let me tell you, if there's ever been a season of time when it was easy to be distracted, it is today. There are so many things that fight for your attention, so many things that pull your interest away like never before. In fact, today it's so easy to become great at doing things that don't matter. There are so many things that you could become great at, but they really don't even matter. And I see families who are just so busy and so crazy busy doing things that really, in the end of the day, don't matter. But we get hung up in opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Why am I driving my kids' car? I don't want them to miss an opportunity. Yeah, but they're missing their life. 
And some of you are going, I don't want to miss an opportunity. Yeah, but you're missing what God wants you to do. And it's so easy to get distracted by things that pull us off mission. Remember, if the devil can't destroy you, what's he going to do? He's going to distract you. And in order to accomplish great things, then you must learn to say no to some good things. They might appear good. Some might be bad things disguised as good. But the truth is, and I've, I've had to learn this the hard way in ministry, in order to do great things, I've had to learn to say no to some good things. Let's go on. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, in other words, a good work, and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. What do we see happening here? The enemies, the critics, they asked Nehemiah for a meeting. Nehemiah says, why? I'm going to stay on task. They are tenacious. Four times they come to him with this request. Now, here's the deal. This is before texting. This is before emails. This is before phone calls. So what happened is a messenger would be sent all the way to Nehemiah, who's leading his great work, and the messenger would be, sh- would be shared by the aide sent by Samballot, and he would say, no. And that would go back miles to where Samballot is and be read. Uh, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a good work. Why should it stop? No. Well, let's try it again. Let's say it again. So the messenger goes back to Nehemiah. Same message. Hey, come meet. Nehemiah says what? No, I'm doing a good work. I can't come down. I'm doing a good work. Why should I leave? That goes back four times. The tenacity of the enemy to pull us away, to distract us. And one of the most strategic skills that we might ever have as people of God is the skill to say no. The skill to say no. You know, Kelly, I didn't think we could say no as Christians. Let me just tell you something. You actually grow with your no's. You don't grow with your yeses. Let me explain. Especially in the church setting, we have to hear this. And I know this is dangerous to talk about this right now, but, but hear me out. There are some of you that are doing way too much right now in the church because you can't say no to anybody. And because you're doing so much in the church, you're doing not any one of those very good. And so sometimes we just get spread so thin. And maybe it's hard for you to say no. You're like, well, Kelly, how do I say no? Here's how you do it. No. I know it's hard. It's hard for me because I'll tell you what, I say yes a lot. But how many know that when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else? Or you're saying no-ish to something else? And some of us, because we want to do good in the church, we don't say no. And the problem is you find yourself in a ministry that you don't really like, but you said yes, and now you got to stick with it. Let me just challenge you. We need people who will invest deeply in a ministry area. And if you're spread so thin doing a bunch of things that you can't do one of those good, then maybe next time that ministry leader comes, you need to say no. No, because I'm on mission. This is a good opportunity, I know, but I'm just going to have to say no. Well, Kelly, how do I know if it's an opportunity versus a distraction? How am I going to know? Well, you're going to have to lean into the Holy Spirit to to guide you and help you know. 
But here's something else we can discover. What Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, listen to his words. Therefore, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. I want, the phrase I want to bring up here is give yourself fully, fully to the work. Now, some of you, you're, you're blessed with a bandwidth to do more. So give yourself fully to that work. But others of you, you're so divided, you can't do anything well. So give yourself fully to that one thing and say, this year, I am going to give myself fully to what I believe God is having me to do, which means you're going to have to say no to something else. Just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should. Even Jesus said no. You guys know that? Even Jesus said no. He often said no to the crowds. Why? So he could say yes to time with his father. He would say no to the crowds to say yes to one person who needed one-on-one ministry from him. He learned the value, and it wasn't because he was insensitive. We look at Jesus and say, he was never insensitive, but how could he say no then, right? Here's the thing you got to know. We don't say no because we don't care. We say no because we really do care about the good work that God wants us to do. So Nehemiah, four times, no, I can't come down from the good work that God has for me. What he was able to do was to evaluate a new opportunity in light of God's higher call upon his life. This is how you begin to discern, is this an opportunity or a distraction? You lay that against the calling, the higher calling you believe God has on your life, and you evaluate this new opportunity in light of God's higher calling upon your life. And there are times that I do that. Now, here's what you have to know about me. I feel called to pastor this community. Neighborhood church is the expression of my pastoring this community, but my heart is always to pastor beyond the walls of this church. So opportunities come that maybe you're thinking, well, you should say no to that, Kelly, because you're pastoring us. Yes, but I'm, I'm pastoring community. Opportunities come and recognize my calling. So I lay those opportunities alongside the calling I believe God has on my life. And so then I'll step into something that I believe achieves the goal of me pastoring a community, not just a church. I love neighborhood church, okay? I love pastoring here. But my vision, just so you guys know, is to pastor this city, be a leader in this city, because that's where the hope of the gospel needs to go. You guys all are saved. I love preaching to you, but how many know it's those people who aren't here who need to have the good news? That's what I feel called to pastor. So I lay opportunities as they come up in light of what is my calling. We do the same as followers of Jesus. What has God called you to do? Opportunities should be evaluated and assessed based on that. So sometimes staying focused on a good work means saying no. It means saying no to something else. Let's go on. Nehemiah 6, 5. Then the fifth time, this guy is not giving up, right? Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. We have a new element here now. We have an open letter that anybody could read. 
That was the point behind why Sanballat had it be an unsealed letter. Normally, if you were to send a letter to somebody, it would be bound and sealed with your ring to be opened only to the person who was to open it. This was an open letter. And the purpose was Sanballat wanted everybody who could to see this letter. It goes on. In which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, like Geshem, some kind of mythbuster, right? And Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, probably a better word there is rumor, but according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem, that there is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. Now, let me unpack that just for a second. So remember, Nehemiah was sent from the king of Persia. Persia is still a sovereign over Jerusalem right now. They're a va- Israel is a vassal state underneath Persia. And so if he proclaims himself to be king, he's basically thumbing his nose at the king of Persia, saying, thanks for sending me down here to become king of my own nation. It'd be an act of revolt is what it would be. So he, so he closes his letter with this. So come, let us meet together. What is this distraction? Number two, it's the distraction of rumors. The distraction of rumors. This fifth time, Sanballat tries to distract Nehemiah, not with a diversion, but with a rumor. And do you know what's true about rumors? This is worthy of writing down. I don't have it on screen, but here's, it's worthy to write down. Here's what's true about rumors. That rumors are carried by haters, they're spread by fools, and they're believed by idiots. Rumors are carried by haters, they are spread by fools, and they're believed by idiots. And I'll be honest to tell you, I have been all three of those people at some point in time in my life. That I've been the one who has carried it, or I've been the one who has spread it, or I've been the one who's believed it. And we've all been there. But rumors are never productive. But what they become is a significant distraction. How many of you have been on the other end of a rumor? Maybe the brunt of a rumor. Wasn't true. What's the first thing you wanted to do? Defend yourself and silence the idiot who began it. I want us to see what Nehemiah did. But before we get to that, here's something to write down. Don't let the whispers of people distract you from the work of God. Don't let the whispers of people distract you from the work of God. Oh, did you hear? Did you know what Kelly was doing? Did you? Don't let the whispers of man distract you from the work of God. Jesus was always accused of being a blasphemer. But he never let the whispers of the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day stop him. No. He stayed on the work of God. Because, friends, listen, you will never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. And there are small-minded people all around us. But you'll never do big things if you're constantly trying to put out fires by those who are distracting you away who are small-minded people. So don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true 
about you. Don't worry about what people say. Now, sometimes what they say might be true about you. Pay attention to that. But sometimes it's not. In fact, when any of my kids in their past have dealt with being the brunt of a rumor or a gossip, then I, I ask them, is it true? No. Then why are you so worried about it? Because they're talking. Is it true? All you can do is be you. Be true to who you are before God and let the rumors fly. I know it's hard to deal with that, but is it true? No. Then stop. Stop fighting it. I mean, if I try to fight a person who started a rumor, it doesn't go anywhere very well, does it? Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll stop talking about you. No, it does, it does no effect. What do you do instead? You live a life that honors God, and don't let the critics, don't let the haters knock you off of God's mission. So how did Nehemiah respond? Let's look at it. Verse 8 of chapter 6. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. End of statement. That's all. And then we, we were all trying to, they, we, let's back up. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now God strengthen my hands. I think this is interesting what Nehemiah does. Instead of letting him become discouraged or distracted, what's he do? This rumor actually steadied him and made him more determined to do his good work. Notice his prayer. Now strengthen my hands. Some of you, I know what you would have prayed. You might have prayed, now silence these idiots who are talking about me. Now, Now give me a good comeback that can shut them up. Right? No. That's not what he did. He dealt with the reality, what you're saying is not true. Now strengthen my hands. Keep me about my good work. It was a prayer for him to stay strong, to stay focused in the midst of his rumors, distractions, and and the gossip all around him. Keep me about my business, Lord, of following you. He didn't fight that rumor with a rumor, which is what most of us do. We're good at mudslinging. Oh, yeah, well, I heard. Don't do that. Don't fight a rumor with a rumor. Fight a rumor with reality. That is not true. And then you stay about your work. And you stay focused. Time will prove who the fool is. So don't let somebody else's opinion of you disrupt God's calling for you. Don't let somebody else's opinion of you. Can I just tell you that if people were chosen based on public opinion, most of the disciples would not have been chosen. You know the only one that would have been chosen? Judas. He probably would have been chosen by the public eye. Because he was a money man and he seemed to be smart, but yet he's the one who betrayed Jesus, right? Don't let people's opinion of you disrupt God's calling for you. I love this verse in Psalm 90, verse 17. It was my prayer this past week. It was in my devotions this past week. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When you feel the gossip and the rumors flying and you're serving God, then you just pray for God's favor upon you and to strengthen or establish the work of your hands. Keep me focused. I won't be distracted. Let's move on. Nehemiah 
chapter 6, verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, that's a fun one, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. The third distraction that we see in Nehemiah's story is the distraction of entitlement. The distraction of entitlement. How do we see entitlement in this story? Let's put it together here by looking at it. So Shemaiah was a would-be prophet who uttered this prophecy, they're out to get you, which is relatively true. I mean, they are trying to get him, but it was very specific. They're going to come here, and they're going to kill you. So let's go into the temple and shut the door, and you can find sanctuary or refuge in the temple. So it sounded like a good idea. Nehemiah is a leader. He's doing a good work. Wouldn't it make sense for him to be sheltered from harm? Well, let's unpack this a little bit further. Because what was really happening here was the prophet was set up to catch Nehemiah in a trap. Because if Nehemiah had agreed to do what this man had said, then what Nehemiah would have done is he would have overstepped his authority and exercised incorrect authority to preserve himself and his own life. Let me explain. Nehemiah was not a, pro- was not a priest. He was a leader, but he was not a priest. The only people who were to go into the holy place of the temple were priests. The most holy place Only one priest, the high priest, could go in only one time a year. But if you were not a priest and you went into the holy place, surrounding the most holy place, the least that would happen to you is death. So it was an assumption that he could just barge into the holy place because he's God's man. But he'd be overstepping his bound. He'd be reaching for something that wasn't his to reach for. And that, my friends, is entitlement. When you feel like, hey, I'm important, I'm doing something good, I've been leading a good work, I should be able to claim that authority that's not mine to claim. I should be able to claim that thing that really is not mine to claim. I'm overstepping my boundary and assuming something is mine that's not. We deal with generations of entitlement today. People who think it should be handed to them on a silver platter just because they breathe. Here's what happens in ministry. Things begin to go pretty good for you. You begin to see success in your ministry. It begins to go to your head, and and the external success begins to do internal damage to your heart. And here's the thing, friends. Never allow external success do internal damage to your heart. Um, Here's one way that I've seen it happen. I'll give you two examples. One of them is in a um, kind of a broader scale, not the local church, but 
When I was on staff at People's Church in Salem, our church used to be involved in directing and leading what was called Jesus Northwest. It was a large Christian festival. Many of you, if you lived in the area, probably went to it. And uh, we would have Christian artists, speakers come, and, and it was a you know, multi-day event. And my job was to oversee the kids' area of this festival. And we'd have children's entertainers and speakers and musicians come and, and do things for the kids. And I was blown away. Well, first of all, I was totally blown away by how some of the artists that came out of Nashville acted uh, because they felt so entitled to their hoorah. They had contracts about what their entitlement was when they came, and it was alarming, to say the least, at what these good Christian people, gifted by God, were demanding. But really frustrated me when a children's artist, now I'm not trying to say they're lesser, but I'll tell you, when you work with kids, you can't have pride, okay? You just can't. Kids will knock you off your pride all the time. And this artist came who was very popular in the 90s in children's uh, entertainment in the Christian realm. And I, I was looking forward to meeting him. I, was, I, was, I mean, I looked up to this guy. He looked kind of dorky in the videos that he did, and I was looking forward to meeting him. He came, and he was an absolute egomaniac. I could not believe it. I couldn't tolerate it. And I had to host him for the days that he was staying with us. And I became so bothered by his arrogance, his entitlement. Going, Look, you work with kids. You sing about humility and love and joy, and then you act like this? By the way, he eventually was no longer booked by people because his arrogance preceded him. Never allow external success do damage internally to your heart. What's it look like in the church setting? Maybe somebody asked you to lead a ministry, and it's going good. And then somebody else is assigned to come work alongside you. are like, wait a second, this is my ministry. What are you doing in my ministry? I'm entitled to do this. Well, are you? Or were you simply asked to serve? See, here's the thing that we have to understand about the good work God has for you. The good work that God has for you isn't about you. Okay? It isn't about you. You know what it's about? It is about him and his mission. And we see time and again in Old Testament accounts and even in New Testament when a ministry became about somebody and that somebody never ended well. But when the mission was always about God, it always succeeded. Nehemiah said, look, I didn't come here to build a name for myself. I came here to build a wall and that's what I'm going to do. So he didn't step into that entitlement that he could have. He didn't overstep his bounds. Some of you are like, well, I'm at work, and I'm doing a hard job, and an opening happens, there's a step up for me, and I should have got it, but I didn't. And you live in that kind of anger of entitlement, of what you should have had. That easily happens in a church context. Remember, the good work is never about you. It's about God and his mission. So don't let those distractions of opportunity Rumors or entitlement pull you away or distract you away from the good work. Now, some of you are going, Kelly, it's great to know now, but I wish I knew what my good work is. <laughs> I don't even know what my good work is yet. 
Remember what I said? Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. For some of you, going to the Find Your Place class coming up in September. We've got a date scheduled for it, the Find Your Place class, where you can figure out how your giftings, passions, calling all align to the good work God has for you that may be here or it may be in our community in some way. Some of you are like, I'm in the good work now, and thank you, Kelly, for talking about this because I've recognized these distractions at work. And can I tell you that I have had to deal with all of these distractions in ministry because they are real and they are there. Now, there are far more distractions that can pull you away, but these are just the three we see in Nehemiah. But God help us to guard against these, especially on the mission he has for us. I love the way that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews wraps it up as I close. Listen, in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I would add, and the distractions that abound. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the big verse. Listen to it. Verse 3. Consider him, Jesus, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart or that you'll not grow weary and lose perspective or focus on what God wants you to do. Jesus had many of distractors trying to pull him away, but he stayed focused on the joy set before him. Let's pray. Father, there are those in this room who have been trying to step into the good work but they've been at war with these distractions. And maybe it's not the three we've named. Maybe it's something else that they're dealing with. But God, I pray right now they would recognize it for what it is. It's a distraction. And I pray they would deal with that today. For some, you're calling them to step up to be the godly man in their home or the godly mom or the husband or wife you desired for them to be, but they keep allowing distractions to step in and pull them away. God, I pray they'd be wise. Be wise about those distractions. That they would no longer give way to those. But they would stay focused on the call the good work you have them to do at home, the good work you have for them in their workplace, in our community, in our church. So God, help us to, to not give in to the subtleties of these distractions because they are subtle. But help us stay about the good work that you're calling us to do. And for those who are wrestling with that and don't even really know what that is, God, I pray that they would take the next step they would come to the Find Your Place class and learn how you've wired them and what calling that could come out of that in their life. Or maybe for some, it's the challenge they're facing right now, and in that challenge is the call you have for them. So, God, I pray you direct them. But for those that have been going at it and are finding these obstacles, these distractions at work, God, I pray they would learn today the power of staying focused. 
just like you were, Jesus. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.